0: The Freedom Pact. Joining me on the podcast today is BMX Freestyle Gold Medalist from the Tokyo 2020 Olympics, Charlotte Worthington. Just for everyone who maybe didn't see, or maybe those who need a little reminder, could you just give them a quick little run through the events that took place for you at Tokyo 2020 and all the drama and story that went along with it?
1: Well, I do BMX freestyle, and the sport was debuting at the Olympics. Um, There probably wasn't that much hype about it going in, uh, because it was a new sport, but nonetheless, I know a lot of uh, young people were interested. Um, So going through the Olympics, I went to all the practices, I I did a few tricks and stuff, and everything was looking pretty good. Uh, Come the finals, you get two runs, and your best score counts of the run, so... I step up to do my first run, Uh, I I start how I want to start, I do the wall ride, I backflip over the spine, and then I go towards the box, I put a pedal in, um, and my heart's probably racing a little bit, and I've kind of rushed everything, and I pull to do a 360 backflip, uh, which is the first time that that trick's ever been done in competition. I was the first girl that week to, to do it to wood, um in BMX and I I pulled it and uh coming down to the floor I caught my back wheel a little hard and I got booked kind of off the bike I slipped off the pedals I hit the floor I got really bad whiplash (laughs) um and I ended up with a score of 36 uh, out of 199 um yeah so then I had half an hour to wait I watched everyone else, well, everyone else went before me. They all did their runs. The top score was from Team USA's Hannah Roberts, which was a 94, 96 something. Um, and I had to go step up again. So I went back to the same spot, looked up for my second run, looked at the scoreboard, saw the top scoring run was like a 96. And I thought, oh God, that's pretty high. Oh, well, I'm just going to have to go do, do what I do and hope for the best uh so I did the same thing started again uh except this time I landed the 360 backflip uh, and after that I just kind of zoned out did the rest of my run uh was in awe of rolling away at the end and um we waited for the scores next to my coach Jamie uh and the scores came in and they were a 97 uh so we were in the lead at that point massive celebrations the contest wasn't over. We had to wait and see if anyone else could top it. Um, and we waited. We watched the, the second place rider uh, drop in. She slipped a foot on the pedal and called it. And we won gold at the Olympics.
0: <laughs> so having fell on that first run, so at that moment then, you said you had 30 minutes wait. What are the thoughts going on in your head? Is there any negative self-talk? Is there any doubt? Is there any anxiety? What's going on?
1: Oh well I've I've kind of been practicing being in that kind of situation not specifically but being under pressure and knowing that you have to perform the next go and uh, I think through practice I found myself in a really good mental place Um, that there's still the negative thoughts that creep in uh, but what I was trying to focus on was uh, what I could do. Um, I wasn't thinking how am I going to get gold? How how am I going to win? How am I going to get a better score I was just thinking I'm so committed to doing that run regardless if I fall or not like because I was at that point you're prepared to walk away with nothing because the Olympics is just another contest and that could happen Mm. um but you do have the negative thoughts as I say and and those thoughts are like is this the right time is it the time to do that trick is it going to pay off is it going to be the same old narrative of Anna Roberts winning and you get in like podium and not beating her. Like you, you do start asking a lot of questions. And uh, yeah, I think if you, you you can get carried away with them and when you focus on them, um, yeah, it'll it'll take you out. So I think I just actively have been practising, um, putting my focus on other things really, positives.
0: So building up to that in that half hour wait, was there any point in which you were debating whether taking that trick out that you failed on the first time or was there always the plan to, to keep that in and go for it and just risk it all?
1: I, I honestly never debated it. I mm. think I've, I've been in the situation uh, previously at contests and I have debated it and I've thought, should I take that trick out? And then I've left it in and then I've crashed on the same trick and come dead last. Mm. Um, so it is through experience that kind of gave me the, the confidence to think like that as well. Um, because when I first started competing, I did used to think, given that the finals was what best run count, I used to think I'll do a safety run that's a good score, get a score on the board so you're going to get something decent and then take the risk. Um, but then through practice of, of trying to do the best run that you can over and over, um, that's what allowed me to do it really.
0: So when you first got to Tokyo when all the build up to your event, What were those days like beforehand? What were the nerves like? And are you someone that practices uh, visualization at all? Were you sort of imagining just playing it out in front of you before you even started? What were those first few days like before the event?
1: Uh, Massively. Um, I think I've been visualizing it months before, though. Um, And the build-up to this event was really, really intense and quite difficult because I actually dislocated my shoulder six weeks before we flew. Um, so I had like two weeks, uh, recovery to get back to some kind of function in it. And then the four weeks after that, it wasn't physical. Like you can physically do the tricks, but, um, it was literally mental and it was to the wire of getting over the fears of having just took a serious injury to, to do the tricks again. So in the weeks uh, previous to the Olympics, it was super intense Um, there was many tears there was a lot of really lows probably like the lowest you've ever I've ever felt um, going into the games because you have such high hopes and these really big plans and at that point even my coach said like a week out I wasn't sure you were even gonna be able to do that run Um, but the whole time because we had the run planned I was visualizing it the whole time Um, probably every night before I went to bed it just creeps into your mind. Sometimes I'd try and not visualize it because you end up laying awake and, and thinking about it. Um, but no, I'd always try and visualize it in a positive way. And if ever I thought visualized falling on something, I'd, I'd stop myself and think, no, visualize what it's like to land it um, because you know it's scary. You can think about the worst happening. Um, so I definitely made an active choice to do that. And that was from advice from... Uh, a lot of the team behind me at British Cycling, um, we've worked on techniques like that. So in the coming days before the event, I knew the run off by heart massively.
0: Yeah, I, I love that. So you mentioned that it's a relative, but it's a new sport to the Olympics. So this, it wouldn't be something you were dreaming of your entire life to to compete in the Olympics in this sport because it obviously wasn't a sport before now. So when did you first learn that? the Olympics was a possibility for you. And when did you first learn that you would go into the Olympics?
1: Well, I started BMX in pretty late anyway, and it was just as a hobby. It was before I knew anything about the Olympics mm. putting BMX in. Um, I started when I was 19 and I'm now 25. Um, but before that, I had loads of experience like riding scooters um, and, and skateboarding, which is all very similar. It made BMX pretty easy to pick up. Um, And I'd probably rode for a year um, through like 2017. Uh, And then I started to get like speaking to people and opportunities started to come my way. Uh, And we did the first uh, trials in the USA for the selection at the start of 2018. So it was then that uh, the Olympic journey began. And at the time that was for 2020 uh, because it was pre-COVID.
0: So as how long has bmx been a a sort of fully funded career option for for people is it is it always been that way over the times where it was difficult little opportunity because obviously it wasn't an olympic sport what was it what was the scene like when you first got into it then
1: well it's a very new sport in itself um it's probably been popular and going since the 70s 80s um and when i got into it for me, in my position at the time, just a girl that enjoyed riding a bike and was like a little bit good at it, mm-hmm. um, yeah, there was absolutely no opportunity for me to quit my job and do BMX full time. Um, there were people that had done it and had successfully done it, but it was it's a small handful. So the, there's names in the UK like Alex Colborne, Ben Wallace, um, m- many pros really have have managed to do it, but it's through years and years of little opportunities, um, within sponsorships, um, BMX and bike companies don't have a lot of money themselves. So that's not really an option of where you're going to get most of your money. Uh, so a lot of the pros that did it before me, um, and my coach, Jamie Bestwick is a fantastic example of someone who kind of, he didn't get paid for BMX until he was 27, 28. Um, and that's really like late on and, That he only started making money through going to competitions in the USA. Um, And at the time that was like the nineties, early two thousands, the money was crazy. The the prize money for Jutor was like 75 grand, something stupid like that. Yeah. So there was like a lot more opportunities in the USA if you were kind of good. Um, But in the UK, there's, there's really not a lot of uh, full-time riders that don't work alongside that. So it was only for me, it was only the Olympic opportunity in 2018 that allowed me to do that. Same for, for my teammate, Declan, as well. Yeah.
0: So going forward now, where does the... What's the situation with funding going forward now? I think there was some news come out this week. Was there about funding in, in BMX?
1: Yeah, so funding towards BMX. Uh, I think Rich Cycling, I think it was a million pounds i have put towards um progress in the sport and that's that's not just straight into facilities it's more like to create a, an olympic pathway mm-hmm. um so i'm sure some of it will go to facilities which is definitely needed and i'm sure the government will also uh put towards that but they're putting towards creating competitions in the uk wow. um which as i said there was way more in the, the usa um so now there's going to be more of a competition system in the uk it allows people to get that experience um on top of that, the older generation in BMX can learn to become a coach or a judge uh, and they're going to work with communities to encourage more females to, to give it a go too. So that was their funding towards BMX as a sport and the funding that we get that allows us to quit our job essentially is from the National Lottery. Uh, they pay our like APA athlete funding, our wage.
0: So how does it feel to you now knowing that that funding will exist for younger kids first getting into the sport that maybe wasn't there when you got in um, and it's there as a result of you know people like you and your friends sort of paving the way in the sport. How does that make you feel to, to know that that money is now going to be there for, for those getting into the sport?
1: Um, I'm so proud to, to even be associated with some a stepping stone that has helped towards that uh, because people would say to us, throughout this whole experience, me, me and Depp that you're paving the way and you're going to create more opportunities and you kind of think, well, that'll happen if it all goes to plan and it all goes well and we get some good results because if not, then it doesn't look very good. Um, so it's been a bit of a fairy tale really to, to have done that and had such an impact um, that it's just going to create the opportunities for other people. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm so happy to have I just, just I just think having the opportunity there is going to encourage more people to take the opportunity, take the risk, um, and take a chance on themselves really and be inspired to to go for it. So I feel really proud to be a part of that and hopefully it changes someone's life down the line for the better, like it changed mine.
0: Amazing. So now at this present, when you put that gold medal around your neck, what does that mean what does that does that symbolize all the hard work all the sacrifice what does it represent to you
1: yeah massively I think it just represents the hard work and the blind faith really paying mm. off um because yeah I worked so hard in the years building up to it I had so many failures so many um as I said I've come dead last in contests before by taking risks uh, mainly, my biggest struggles were mental struggles. And it was more like confidence and uh, being able to, to stick out a trick and have a plan to go through a contest and then be able to perform in finals at the end. I'd do really well in qualifying, and then come finals, I can't kind of flap it and not have a great plan. Um, so, to have gone through so many failures and hardships and all the tears um, and the help around me as well that's helped me get through that like massive like respects go to my coach jamie um the team at british cycling friends and family like again i wouldn't have been able to do it without them um so to put it around my neck just to go through all the hardship with people around you um and as i say the blind faith of thinking i have no idea if it really is going to work and if i really can do it but i've just gotta prepare for the worst and hope for the best
0: yeah, so when you first started competing in BMX, when you know when you first got into the hobby and then sort of transitioned into into competing, what was the reaction like from people around you, like friends, family? Did they did they see it as a potential, you know, a career path for you, or did they just what What was the reaction? Was there much support there, or were they a bit skeptical of the sport?
1: I think ninety nine point nine percent of the people around me were super supportive. Um, they already knew that I did like those kind of hobbies and I'd got little bits of money here and there from it absolutely nothing to sustain on its own uh, as a job Um, but I think they weren't even thinking about it like about winning gold and making loads of money from it they were just thinking especially my parents they were just like go and enjoy it like if it's a cool opportunity to to ride bikes and enjoy riding bikes even if it's for a little bit And you get to travel the world and and compete it's a great experience um and I was 21 at the time I think so super young I didn't have to be tied to a job or a boyfriend or a family um so yeah I think the vast majority of people were super supportive and uh it was was really encouraging yeah
0: and is it nice now to sort of bring this visual like this symbolism this medal home and put it in front of your family and, you know, show them, show them what it was all for?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, I think especially like when they don't, they themselves don't know everything about BMX mm. and, uh, you know, the, my parents aren't even that clued up about it. My friends probably know a little bit more. Um, so to put it in front of like my friends that I've made along the journey that I've, you know, as I say, been in tears to and had really hard times and Maybe they don't get it as well. They're a bit like, "Oh, well, she's just doing it and just doing her best." Um, but to to put it in front of them and be like, "This is because you guys helped me get through this," uh, is really proud.
0: So post Olympics now, obviously it was covered on the on the BBC. Um, I think I saw you on uh, this morning as soon as you came home. You've done, you know, countless interviews, appearances, sort of being dragged left, right, and centre. How do you? How are you handling all this sort of attention and and notoriety that comes with, you know, success in the Olympics? How has that been like? Is this something that's, you know, brand new to you, this kind of exposure? And and how are you finding it?
1: Uh, The level of exposure is like brand new, Mm. Um, but it's not the first time I've done a lot of interviews. Uh, I'm pretty comfortable talking on camera. I'm not that sure why, but uh, I think... I think I've had a fair bit of experience in my teenage years just uh, having fun with doing media stuff. Um, so I'm pretty comfortable in doing it. I think the hardest thing is uh, I think coming home, I definitely thought, oh, it's going to be done and I can go wherever I want, go on holiday, see wherever I want, be wherever. Um, but I think that kind of came to like pretty quick, like when it was the next day and I just wanted to chill because I'd had two hours sleep um and I was on this crazy high but it's like no come on you gotta go do some interviews um for like the time difference in the UK and then when you come back you think first thing I'm gonna do is go see all my friends and stuff and it's like well ITV have said well if you can uh, come and we want to be the first to interview you and stuff mm-hmm. um so yeah I think I realized pretty quick like oh I've actually got some more work to do here um but I love doing it and I, I love I'm, not, I'm definitely wouldn't I don't want to think of myself as a vain person. Like I don't love the interviews for the attention. Um, but if I can help inspire someone else, like people are just stoked to speak to me. And if I'm like, if you just enjoyed watching the BMX and if it encourages you to like get on a BMX or like watch it more, then that's fantastic. So I'm just trying to learn uh, in this experience. I'm trying to learn more about portraying myself. Um, what message can I spread? that's not all a one woman show because it's so it's kind of hard when the questions are all the same and it's like um how did you do it like what was going through your head and you're so amazing at doing this and I'm like well it really I had a friendly reminder from my coach as well that people don't people get bored of the one woman show um and there really is so much behind it there's so much story there's so many people so I'm trying to learn how to spread the messages that i want to spread um that are positive and that aren't all about me
0: so the the coverage of of your run they've been on i've seen it replayed on tv many times i've seen it on youtube it's doing big big numbers on there on online have you had much chance to to watch your performance back and are you the type of person that watches and just enjoys watching it back or do you watch back and sort of you know, look for improvements, things like that. Have you had much time to reflect on it?
1: Uh, I think directly after I definitely didn't. Um, I didn't rewatch my run until uh, well, it was crazy because I zoned out after the three flip. And I didn't even know, like I was speaking to my coach. I said, did I do that trick on there? Um, and he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I watched like the run back, like with the coaches very briefly. And then, When I came home, I looked up the actual coverage of what the general public had seen. Um, And the only thing I've seen is is the BBC's like edited version. So they've made it between me and Hannah. They basically made it a little battle. Um, So that's really cool to watch, but I haven't seen the whole contest and how it played out. I don't know what everyone else's runs were. I wasn't watching them at the time. I was very much like this, like Mm. in my own little bubble with my headphones on and really not looking at anyone else. so I need to watch the whole contest again. And, and when I did watch the run back, um, yeah, I do. I can be quite harsh on myself really. Um, and I'm super, I'm extremely proud of it and I couldn't have done it any better, but you still think like my coach said, it was an amazing run. Like it should have been a hundred. And I was like, it wasn't a hundred. <laughs> there was it like I cased on this and like, that wasn't super executed really well. And there's always room for improvement and there's, uh, there's tricks that I'm still working on that didn't make it into Olympics that we thought were going to, but then because of the injury circumstances, they didn't. Um, so like there's still massive rooms for improvement and it's, it's an exciting thought to think, how could we up that run even more?
0: So you are Olympic champion. Now what motivates you next? How do you keep the the passion? How do you keep the drive alive?
1: Well, I think definitely a break is needed next, uh, to keep the passion alive. And, um, it's a new experience for me and everyone involved. And I hear a lot of athletes. Some say they take three months off. Some say they take three weeks off. Um, and it's a tough one because BMX is still a hobby. It's still an outlet and it's something I'm really passionate about. And I just enjoy doing it with a small group of friends on my own. And, and, um, yeah, so I want to go back to it, but like right now I'm I'm taking a little break and a breather because when you've been riding at this crazy high level for, for months, um, it's kind of hard to look at it again and think I need to just go on it and just ease back into it. Um so I think I'll I'll be taking a break. And then when I come back, uh, it's just it's still an addictive hobby. Um I still en- like I'll enjoy going on it regardless of looking at Paris or not. Um, but I will be looking at Paris. It's something I want to do again. So there's only so much time I can have off and then I'll need to get back on the good diet and back in the gym and back in that kind of really calm, cool, mental um, like way of thinking.
0: Yeah, we've seen quite the, a few athletes post-Olympics come out and talk about the break. Um, you know, guys like Adam Petey, we saw the Simone Biles all taken breaks for their mental health you do you see that as something that's important to you as well just to just to look after your mental health and maybe take that pressure off take that expectation off just for those like you said two three months maybe
1: oh massively um I think I've learned more about my mental health in the last year um than ever in my life really uh because I've faced mental challenges and I've got better at being more confident in contests and We've, we've worked together with numerous people to find strategies. I've read loads of books um, about performing in contests and, and looked at people like Michael Jordan and read so many books about Kobe and uh, it's really helped. But then there's still the mental side of your day-to-day life. And so I think in this last year, mainly with COVID, um, I had to learn about perspective of BMX and the Olympics just being a part of my life. And it's not the be-all and end-all of my life. Um, So I think during COVID, I live on my own. um, And I did fall into like a pretty rough patch, uh, mainly with not competing regularly and seeing what the rest of the girls are doing around the world. I didn't know where I stood. I didn't know if I was doing the right thing or if I was falling behind. Um, And I was having a tough time with tricks. Like you can't always be in a constant trajectory. I was kind of on a mellow and not seeing them spikes of progression and when that's all you can focus on because in covid the only the only thing in my life was bmx that's all we could do because everything was shut and all we could do was train we couldn't travel we couldn't take breaks i couldn't see my family for months um so yeah I, i fell into like a rough patch and i think coming out of that um it probably helped me going into the olympics of keeping a perspective of okay BMX is great it's a big part of my life and I've dedicated a lot to it Uh, but this life goes on and if the Olympics doesn't go well life goes on and I've still got my friends and I've still got my family and I think that was a really big part of the perspective going into it Um, and I worked for a lot a lot of crap really and and made a lot of hard conversations Mm. um, of things that I'd realized that I'd fallen into and needed talking through with, with people in my life
0: yeah, I think everyone knows um, the, the amount of practice and dedication that goes into really mainstream sports like football. You know, we I think we all have an idea about how much goes into that. But for something like BMX, what is the the practice like? How often do you train? What's the sort of daily grind?
1: We probably go to a skate park um, four or five times a week when we're practicing like normal Um and we go to the gym around that like two or three times. It kind of depends where I'm at. If I'm in America, it's a bit more intense uh, because my coach's wife owns a fitness studio. So I'll be doing fitness and yoga classes with her. Uh, and then we we'll would be training most afternoons. Um, but you, like any sport, you really can't overdo it. And uh, because BMX is such a confidence and mental kind of sport, um yeah if, as soon as you're tired and, and not really 100 percent focused you're gonna make mistakes and BMX when you're making a mistake 20 feet in the air um it's it can be quite dangerous uh so it's not like as in it's definitely not as intense as um like I I don't know a triathlon or something where you have to be conscious of your weight and and stuff like that um so yeah the daily the daily grind is is fairly casual maybe compared to other sports Um, I think it just depends where you are and your training regime and stuff. And as I say, during COVID, the only thing we could do was BMX. Uh, So yeah, that was, as much as it's a hobby and a passion, it kind of ruined it a little bit when it really wasn't that fun. Because if if BMX wasn't great, then you were like, well, what else is great right now? So that was kind of tough. And that was a perspective you had to snap out of really and get help to get out of.
0: Yeah, have you found... Much time outside of BMX to to do things for you and enjoy other things that you like.
1: Yeah, I think um, I think definitely made more of an effort to do that uh, in the months leading up to the to the games. Um, I was told that with more like structure and um, and hard training, you also need more support and like you need to balance it out with as much support as you can for as much training as you're doing. Because it's really intense. And um as I say, there's hard days, there's days where there's tears and you're not sure if what you're doing is right. And then there's absolutely elated days where you think, God, this is I'm on top of the world. Like you always think it's easy. And then the next day you'll get completely knocked down and think, What was I thinking? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's an absolute roller coaster. And you really need to, you need to have some some things that you enjoy and people to spend time with outside of the sport so you can switch off because you can have like a really great day and then as I say it's a really terrible day and you need to let go of the terrible day because otherwise it just drags and drags and it's exhausting
0: you mentioned that you had um, hobbies in in sports before uh, BMX similar there in sports what do you think attracted to you that attracted you to these there in sports in the first place
1: um my brother always did a little bit of skateboarding I always thought it was pretty cool when I was growing up I was never super it's like typically girly or anything um I wasn't so interested in like gymnastics or ballet I did a bit of trampolining but again that's like kind of doing flips in the air and and going really high um I just loved all sports in general I'm not massively sure why but I think any adrenaline sport I thought was just really cool. I thought the trick side of it was like cool and it was something that I just enjoyed doing and uh what better sport to do it and than than have tricks 20 feet in the air on on a BMX.
0: Do you think it's good for people to expose themselves not maybe to not the extent that you do but do you think it's a good idea to expose yourself to a little bit of fear, a little bit of discomfort in life rather than you know, living in that comfort zone? Entirely.
1: Um, I think I've heard the phrase seek discomfort and, uh, I'd completely agree with it. And the thing is comfort is different for absolutely everyone. Uh, comfort, like being uncomfortable doesn't have to be throwing yourself at a trick on a, on a bike. It could be just changing your mind and making a really tough decision one day. It could be eating a piece of broccoli if you're struggling with with weight it could it could be anything and uh, like I've heard greatness really is like lots of really tiny things done greatly but over and over and over it's not taking these massive steps Uh, and I didn't take any massive steps it really was the really mundane tiny steps towards a little bit of a better diet and then a little bit of extra fitness and a little bit more discipline that over time really inches make miles and they just build up and that's the sort of thing that that will change your life is is pushing yourself to do something uncomfortable. Even if it's just the smallest thing, it doesn't have to be jumping off a cliff.
0: So what does this sport do for you on a personal level? What do you get out of it when you go for a day in the skate park? What do you get out of it on that personal level?
1: I just enjoy it and it's just always a a reset for me. Mm. I think um, before it's a, it's a tough one when it really is your hobby and it really is an outlet. And then all of a sudden, like you kind of have to do it and you don't, you have to do it if you want to go to the Olympics, you know, if you want to be disciplined. Um, But as a hobby, I just enjoyed doing it with my friends and um, you just get such an adrenaline rush when you land that trick. And usually for me, it's more overcoming a mental fear battle of a trick um that is so uplifting when you come out the other end uh so it's maybe it's an addiction to the adrenaline rush but um yeah it's just it's usually a mental reset and I think sport is that for most people is uh stepping away from everything else uh like losing yourself for a little bit and then coming back down and feeling a lot better.
0: Mm. I heard you say before in an interview that this is a very male-dominated sport, maybe 80-90% male. So, did you face any challenges or anxieties being a female in such a male-dominated environment?
1: I think when I started, I was pretty oblivious to it. And I think I just did what I loved doing, and I didn't really care about who was watching. Um, and then I think maybe more as time went on and you kind of get to the teenagers, uh yeah, that was like some some really silly kids at the skate park, but you're all young and uh you say, you do and say stupid things. I did and said stupid things. Um, but I can definitely imagine how from the outside looking in as a, a young girl, it is quite scary to see these like all these blokes on bikes because a lot of them are are um like late teens, like they're from the late teens to the thirties. And uh, for a young girl or even a young boy coming in, it can be quite intimidating. Uh, but I think once you kind of get into BMX and, and you make a couple friends, friends, um, you kind of learn that you're all there for a mutual love of the sport. No one's really there to be nasty to you. Um, but there was definitely challenging times. And even later in life, when uh, I got like some opportunities, there was there was comments made that it was because of my gender that I got the opportunities Um and like, whereas some of like my friends at the time could maybe do, I don't know, better tricks. And you think, well, they could do better tricks, but they didn't get the opportunities. So there was like stupid things said, but it's, you know, it's BMX is such a great community. And I'd never take away from that. I'd never discourage anyone to, to think like that. It's really the select few, the very small few that, uh, that have that kind of attitude. But on the whole, Um, any any community at the skate park is really welcoming really inviting and uh, without that like yeah it probably wouldn't have been as enjoyable and I think the people that do get involved now will just be able to to see that and um, and really enjoy taking part
0: yeah would it mean a lot to now over this next you know one two three years to start seeing more younger girls coming into the sport um, you know, and, and like you said, there's an environment now where they might feel a bit more comfortable to come in. Now the sport is in the mainstream. And do you see that happening? Do you see more girls coming into the sport now, do you think?
1: Uh, definitely. Uh, I've had so many messages uh, after my performance from, from parents that say their little girls absolutely loved watching it. And now they want a BMX for Christmas. And I think that's that's absolutely incredible. And uh, it's it's such a great sport to get into mainly just because of what you learn about yourself. You're constantly overcoming challenges. Um, it's exciting every day. And, and if other people can like find that enjoyment in that and and maybe see some opportunities as a possibility of taking part is amazing. And you don't have to take the Olympic route. It's just a great hobby. And yeah, to have, I definitely think there'll be more girls getting into it.
0: I have two final questions for you that we ask every guest. The first one, you mentioned books earlier. Are there any books that you can point to that have had a big impact in your life? Or
1: Yeah, 100%. Um, it was actually the first kind of athlete book that I read, uh, and it's The Mindful Athlete by George Mumford. Um, and it, even though it's the first one that I read, it's definitely stuck with me this whole time. Uh, there were so many things in there that I related to, um, George Mumford was Michael Jordan's, um, like psych coach, if you will. Uh, but he was a little bit, um, extraordinary and had some really interesting techniques. And yeah, I related to a lot of it and I definitely applied it, uh, to what I was doing. And it was very fitting because it, I was so naive to the contest scene and I was, I had so much to learn. It really helped that. And then most recently I read, uh, work through your BS, which is by an American author, I think Derek Dopecker. Um, and yeah, he that was uh, really awesome. I think that when you're a bit further along in, in kind of working on yourself, that's a great one to read because um, you can learn to catch yourself out when you're BSing yourself. And um, if you, yeah, you can hear the, the other voices sometimes that maybe say, oh, you're too tired. Don't do it. You shouldn't do that. You should just chill. And then you just kind of learn to hear the different things that go on in your head. So those are the two books that I absolutely swear by.
0: Amazing. I love those. So the last question I have for you, uh, the answer to this could be anything. It could be your family. It could be your sport. It could be whatever you want, but for Charlotte Worthington right now, what makes a life worth living?
1: Oh, wow. That's a massive question. <laughs> um, I think it's just friend, friends and family. Mm. Um because I think, as I said, regardless of, of your sport and the results of the sport and your hopes and ambitions, you really can't do it alone. No one does it alone, and it's it's only possible with the friends and family behind you.
0: Amazing. Well, uh, congratulations on the medal. Congratulations on making history and inspiring a, a generation of young females um, getting into getting into the sport for the first time. So congratulations and thank you for joining me today it's been a it's been a pleasure to speak with you and um yeah you brought a lot of value to the podcast today so I appreciate that
1: oh, thank you very much thanks for having me it was a pleasure I listen to so many podcasts myself and and they have helped me so I just thought if I could help someone else with uh, with sharing my own experience that'd be fantastic
0: well thank you so much for joining me again on the freedom pack podcast I really hope you enjoyed this conversation i hope you'll join us again on friday until then please come and check us out on youtube where all these podcasts are uploaded in video format as well as our best bits subscribing to our channel on youtube is the best way that you can help support the show so we'd really appreciate that so that is youtube.com forward slash freedom pact i hope to see you there thank you so much for listening